Alfred Bain's Orinoco is an interesting text that relates the story of an African slave, at least the journey of an African slave. Bain takes the approach and, and describes the life of an African prince, one who comes from a, a very high position in an African tribe. And this is during the slave trade in the 18th century. This prince, Orinoco, comes from a royal family in an African tribe that is engaged actively in wars and tribal wars. And much of what happens in those tribal wars is the capturing of other tribes. And, and then during the 17th century, capitalization or capitalizing on the active slave trade and the profits of that. So what you have here in the text is both an incrimination of the Western powers, primarily Britain and obviously the United States, um, and their engagement, almost a perfect storm, tribal warfare in Africa and then the opening of a very profitable slave trade to the West. These, these African tribes, as it seems from Afrobane's text, have engaged in slavery uh, for, for many generations. So they'll capture a tribe and enslave those whom they've captured. This was a common custom. But the, the perfect storm I'm describing is the opening of this, this slave trade market system uh, put a huge premium on this making of slaves and a much wider market for uh, selling those these tribes have captured. So Orinoco's tribe has a prince. He uh, and his, his tribe and has a very strong army. And so they have captured some, some, they've won a war and then captured slaves from that other tribe. And because of this market system, they are selling those slaves to the Western powers. They're selling those slaves to both England and the United States. And so what seems to, in a way, let off the Western powers um, by showing that this system of slavery already existed, I think that would be a, a bit of a weaker argument because what you have here is a slave system that was infused with an incredible amount of energy because of the influence and the interruption and the arrival of these Western powers. Yes, the, the slave system, the making of slaves of other tribes was common custom, but it wasn't happening at the intense volume that began with or that was introduced by the Western influence. When the Americans and the British showed up, the slave market exploded. It went, it went crazy. It went well beyond, far, far beyond what could possibly have been imagined by these African tribes. And again, not letting even the African tribes off the hook. Afrobane doesn't even do that. She shows their villainy. She shows the evil nature of what they were doing even generations before. But in her own way, in a very powerful way, she, she shows that this additional motivation, this expanding of the market, produced hundreds and hundreds of thousands of more slaves than would have been made had the Western market not opened and infused such energy 
into the slave trade. The, the text goes on to show Orinoco as this incredible uh, uh, diplomat working with Western powers. Um, he is invited onto a, a ship to, to see where the slaves he is selling will go. And in a, an ironic twist, he is wined and dined on this ship by these Western powers, Western leaders. And when he is well past uh, his uh, ability to think rationally because he's had so much wine, he is uh, taken down down below to show and shown where the um, slaves are kept and uh, and irons are slapped on his wrist suddenly and he is now part of the slave trade he has helped nurture and grow over his lifetime. And so Ornoco's wrists are, are bound by, by irons. He and all of his men, his the leaders from his tribe who go with him, his train if you will, um, are all taken captive and they are um, sent across the sea to America. Afrobane shows the great um, corruption in the slave market as these slave traders, these American slave traders are uh, used deception, manipulation, and deceit to capture uh, Orinoco and capture his imagination, uh, which is doubly tragic. Um, at different times, the, the slave traders play upon Orinoco's uh, royal heritage, and they treat him as one who's royal only to get from him what they want. A very sad part of the text where he seems Orinoco seems at times to to connect with a a white slave trader, only to realize that this white slave trader is using not only the Christian religion, a, a false sense of honor and character, but uses everything in his power. These white slave traders use everything in their power to further their gain and to to make money oppress Orinoco and others like him. Afrobane can give us a glimpse into the corruption and the misdealing and the sad deception that was very much a part of the slave trade of the 18th century. The text, there's a kind of an additional complexity. Orinoco, Prince Orinoco, um, a woman that he loves dearly, uh, he ends up having to leave behind. Uh, he doesn't get to marry her. She is the daughter of a of another tribesman, uh, another royal ho household. Um, she is esteemed in beauty and character, and she loves him. Um, well, actually, no, 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 that's not right. Uh, Orinoco, the woman he wants to marry, um, Orinoco's father takes her from him. And so Orinoco's father, the king, is this disgusting and kind of despicable character as well. Uh, Afrobane does not allow the reader to think these Africans are, are people of character either. She villainizes them. She shows them for the deceit that they're engaged in as well. So here in the text, you have a glimpse into the African tribe where all kinds of deceit and injustice is happening as well. So Orinoco's beloved woman, the woman he, he has, is, is wooed and wants to marry, she is so beautiful that Orinoco's dad sees her and says, ah, yes, 
she is beautiful. I want her. And he takes her for himself. Because he is an honorable character, Oronoko, probably one of the only honorable characters in the text, because of his, his respect for his father and his respect for the royal seat, he allows his dad to take the woman that he loves. Because that is the king. And the king gets what he wishes. And so, as sad as that is, Oronoko has to, to give up his, his his love, the love of his life. And so, um, during that time where Oronoko realizes that he can't, custom forbids him for fighting for his his beloved. It's at that time that he is taken aboard the white slaver ship and captured and sent west. And where he is eventually sold into slavery in the America in in in, you know, in, in America. Um, well, as luck would have it, because of Orinoco's love attitude toward the king, the king is angered and sells her into the slave trade, and uh, through uh, the wonder of fiction and of this whole situation. She ends up in, in the Americas as well. She ends up in America on the East Coast, and she too is sold into slavery. And by chance, these two meet up and are married. Even though they're enslaved, they're, they're the slavers that own them allow the marriage to happen with the hope, most likely, of a baby being produced, and then they'll be able to sell the baby into slavery. Orinoco knows this, though, and the text really in some ways is about his coming of age, I suppose, his coming to learn alongside the reader that there is no honor in the slave trade and in those who engage in it. Those who sell slaves um, are despicable and deceitful, and, and everything they say are full of lies and so forth. So Orinoco seems to come to discover this, and, um, and there are some tragic things that he has to do, or he believes he has to do in the end. Um, he and his pregnant wife uh, come to this very sad ending uh, because of, of, of what they realize is going to happen to them and to their child in the midst of the slave trade. And I don't want to give that away. I will allow you to read that text and find out what tragic things befall them and to what tragic measures they are seemingly pushed um, to consider because of the way the slave trade affects them. Thanks. Homegoing by Yagyasi is a very interesting novel that is, is, is broken up into some fascinating chapters that don't follow a chronological order necessarily. It's not direct chronology. What you have are, are chapters that deal with different episodes in the lives of different African people. So the text starts in Africa, in an African tribe, where tribal slavery is a common is a common occurrence. Uh, tribes that capture other tribes and, and force them into slavery, and then sell them to um, Western powers. Uh, Gyasi does some interesting stuff. I, I really like the narration, although you have to really pay attention and put a lot of the the pieces together yourself. She the female or male, but uh, you have to um, watch closely as she jumps. 
And so, so for instance, she'll start with an episode in an African tribe where a woman um, is in love with a man, uh, yet he already has a wife and a family, and she really wants him to take her on as a second wife. Um, she has been unable to find a husband due to various scandals in her past, uh, some true, some not. Um, but, but the way the text goes, it seems that she's been unfairly scandalized. And so what you see is um, her trying to, to find a path, kind of find a way toward marriage. Because in her tribe, to be an unmarried woman uh, past puberty is really to be an outcast be someone who is kind of awaiting their purpose still, not one who can actually achieve anything purposeful um, as a single woman. And so here she is kind of stuck in this place. She's beautiful, she's desirable, and yet she's also been stigmatized. So none of the families want their sons to marry her. And yet she is in love with uh, one of the men in the tribe. And he loves her, and he has promised that when his harvest comes in, he will marry her. Not because it's expensive to take on a wife and he wants to make sure he can provide. Well, um, while waiting for the harvest to come in, um, these two end up hooking up in a cave. and um, Through their interactions, she becomes pregnant. And uh, this adds further scandal because a woman who is, is sexually active outside of marriage is considered unclean and disreputable. So she is further pushed to the edge and, and they want to actually kick her out of the village because of the example that she is leading, the bad example she's leading for the other young people in the village, in that tribe. Um, but she is pregnant with this other man's baby. And so because she comes from a prominent family in that tribe, they negotiate a way for her to stay under the watchful guise elders, the tribe, and so forth, that baby is born out of wedlock. And so the way that Gyasi has set the novel is all of a sudden you'll see her have that baby, name that baby, and then that chapter ends with some kind of dramatic cliffhanger. <laughs> and then Gyasi will take up another plot line from a different village in a different area different area of Africa, different tribe altogether. A few chapters later, though, all of a sudden there'll be a character who we hear was born as a bastard child to an outcast mother, father of a kind of unknown identity. Um, so he has very little contact, this boy, a little boy, or this teen has no contact with his father. His mother has since kind of turned into the town crazy woman, and now he is in America um, working uh, in the south on a plantation. He's cut off from his roots and desperately wants to find a connection, but he can't uh, because through through the process of, of moving to the States and being transcripted into, into pretty hard labor, um, he has lost contact and the ability to, to to know who his family is. And so as the reader of this story, as that chapter develops, you come to realize that, oh, four chapters ago, that woman who was stigmatized because she was both 
scandal, had, had scandals in her past, unmarried, and then pregnant outside of wedlock. Her child is this boy, or is this young man, who is struggling in Alabama to make a living and struggling in indentured servitude um, in part of the slave system. And so the, the text goes. And so even that story will be kind of worked through where that young man will become married. He will um, find a way out of slavery and travel north. Uh, and then that plot line will end. And the child, he and his wife, have will be born, you know, obviously 20 years later, and a different part of um, the United States. Um, she will have to deal with new problems that are generated through her identity as a black American post-slavery, yet still dealing with segregation, still dealing with intense prejudice in the United States. And so what you've you've seen then is Africa, slave trade, American slavery, its influence on these young African men and women, and then you see a jump forward in generations to the impact of, of, a, of a history in slavery on those who now walk in, in freedom as black Americans, yet who still bear the burden of intense prejudice in the United States. So what Yashi does is just fascinating. It really takes the idea of, of American racial prejudice and traces it all the way back through storytelling, through narrative, through uh, very developed anecdotal um, stories or anecdotes um, so that you see a character and you see this character's generation, uh, generational influence, generational influences that have made this character or influenced this character to see themselves in a particular way. Um, because of the in, intensely individualistic portrayal of each character in this text, uh, Yashi avoids making kind of generalizations about the slave trade, avoids making generalizations about American prejudice and racism, and instead puts pictures, puts photographs, puts a story, a family's history in front of the reader. And that proves a powerful or a powerfully insightful um, a powerfully insightful um, message to a reader who um, now sees perhaps for the first time what it looks like um, to be a black American uh, or what one black American has, has had to deal with in terms of being cut off from an African past, being abused through the slave system in America, and now being a product of that slave system in, a, in an intensely racially charged, prejudicial society. So Gyashi has a different approach, which I really appreciate because of the storytelling artistic nature of it. She's not making big claims about racism, or rather just showing these stories, these family stories, family history. It's what this text ends up being. 
but it's it's more than just one. It's it's eight or nine, perhaps ten different family histories woven together in a way that, that draws the reader in in a powerful way.